Lord Jesus, may only the truth be spoken, and may only the truth be heard. For your sake, amen. Well, this morning we'll be looking again at the gospel story. The gospel story is a story which primarily and eminently has to do with the Lord Jesus. The great purpose of the gospel story is to set the Lord Jesus before our eyes in all of his beauty and splendor so that we can learn to love him and to trust him. It's also important to note that the gospel story is a true story. It's not a collection of cleverly devised myths, but rather a sure and trustworthy account of the Lord Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. What we read about in the gospel story is that which happened in human history. And as the word gospel indicates, the gospel story is a good news story. It's a good news story because it has a happy ending, but it's also a good news story because it delivers to us happy news about God, ourselves, and the world. The gospel story declares to us great truths and realities which thrill the heart, give us hope, put us at peace, fill us with joy, and cause us to overflow with love to God and to others. The gospel story is a good news story. Now, we won't be looking at the whole gospel story this morning. Rather, we'll be looking at just a short episode of this great story. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And in this morning's episode, we find the Lord Jesus in the midst of a great crowd. And this is often where we find Jesus in the gospel story, surrounded by great groups of people. Jesus was, amongst many other things, a great teacher and a great miracle worker, People flocked to him so that they could hear his teaching and benefit from his miracles. Now, in this particular instance, it's not that Jesus was just surrounded by a great crowd, but that this crowd was bringing forward their children so that Jesus could heal them and bless them. In the midst of what would have been a chaotic situation, Jesus' followers, the disciples, begin to turn the children and their parents away. We're told that the disciples rebuked them, which is to say the disciples told them off and shooed them away. We're not told exactly why the disciples chose to rebuke the children and the parents, but we are told that Jesus became indignant about what his disciples were doing. Jesus said to his disciples, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And then we're told that the Lord Jesus took the children into his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. And so as we consider this story together this morning, I want us first to take some time uh, to dwell upon the character of the Lord Jesus. What we might ask, does this story tell us about the Lord Jesus? Well, the story shows us that the Lord Jesus was and is warm, open, and welcoming. It's almost as if the Lord Jesus has a great welcome mat at the door of his heart, which reads, Welcome, come on in. I'm so glad you're here. We see in this story that Jesus wanted people to come to him. He wanted children to come to him. Jesus was eager to invite people in and ready to embrace them when they came to him. 
Jesus was eager to gather company around him and to bless that company. We see all throughout the gospel story that Jesus was ready to receive and ready to embrace those who came to him. Yes, Jesus would retreat to the wilderness by himself so that he could spend some time in prayer and communion with God the Father. But these seem to have been times of refreshment which enabled him to attend again to the people that he loved. There was nothing aloof or standoffish about the Lord Jesus. Yes, the Lord Jesus sometimes had a hard word for somebody. But it was always given with the purpose of removing those obstacles which stood between that person and Jesus. All throughout the gospel story, we see a willingness on Jesus' part to have people come to him. And indeed, whenever people went to Jesus with great need, Jesus tended to meet that need in a remarkable and powerful way. Jesus only rejected requests when those requests were dishonest or because he had to reveal some deeper matter of the heart. Now, looking at the whole gospel story, we see that Jesus is not simply willing to receive company when they come to him. Jesus is not sitting idly by waiting for whoever comes along on their way along. Rather, Jesus is always actively beckoning us to come to him. All throughout the Bible, we see this to be the case. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come, follow me. Jesus says, come to the wedding feast. Jesus says, come you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And in the text that we have before us today, we see that Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. When Jesus ascended to his throne in heaven after his resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit into the world to draw people to himself and to speak that word of beckoning and invitation into the hearts of men, women, and children. Jesus is not just willing to receive you, but by his word and spirit, he beckons you, he calls you to come to him. If you've heard this call of Jesus already, then I bless the Lord and I thank the Lord. And if you haven't heard this call, if you haven't heard this invitation, then I pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in your heart, enabling you to hear that call and giving you the strength to respond. I love the way that that great Victorian preacher, Charles Spurgeon, once put it. Whenever a sinner comes to Jesus, he becomes his savior. Whenever he meets a sick soul, he acts as his physician. If you go to him, you will find him at home on the lookout for you. He will be more glad to receive you than you will be to be received. I tell you again that he cannot reject you. That would be to alter his whole character and unchrist himself. To spurn a coming sinner would un-Jesus him and make him to be somebody else and not himself any longer. Spurgeon does not overstate the point here. Jesus loves to receive those who come to him. Jesus loves to receive those who need his help and healing. Jesus loves to receive those who are brought to him. Jesus is more eager for you to come to him than you are to go to him. Jesus once said to his disciples, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And that, dear friends, is a set of words to base your life on. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
that is clear, unequivocal language from the Lord Jesus. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Some of you may know the hymn, Come Ye Sinners, by Joseph Hart. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite hymns. The first verse goes like this. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. And then the refrain, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. This hymn gets the character of Jesus absolutely right. The Lord Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, love and power. As we bring little Reuben to the waters of baptism this morning, we come confident that Jesus loves to receive those who come to him. We come confident that Jesus loves to receive those who are brought to him. Jesus is not a reluctant savior. Jesus is not reluctant in washing away our sins. Jesus is not reluctant in causing us to be born again by water and the Holy Spirit. We come confident that Jesus stands ready to save Reuben ready to embrace him in his arms, ready to bless him with his unsearchable riches. And if we miss the character of Jesus in all of this, then we've missed the main point. Here in the gospel story, we see that the Lord Jesus stands ready with open arms, ready to receive and bless those who are brought to him. We dare to preach and pray and baptize. We dare to come to the Lord's table because we know that our Lord and Savior is a warm and welcoming host, glad of our company, and glad to embrace us. And this brings me to my second point. Jesus is not just ready to receive and ready to save, but he is particularly ready to receive and save children. In short, you could say that the second point is simply this. Jesus loves children. You know, throughout my life, I've met a strange breed of people who don't like children. They're usually grumpy, boring, and a good deal too stiff. And I'm not trying to be mean, but I am trying to show that a dislike of children is most certainly a defect. A dislike of children is unquestionably unchristlike. Jesus loved and loves children. And so let me be very clear to all the children in the room here today. Jesus loves you. And he loves you as you are, as children. Isn't that lovely? Now looking at the story before us, we see that Jesus' most careful students, his disciples, had shown themselves to have this serious defect. They had shown themselves to be the strange sort of people who don't like children. As such, the disciples were acting very rudely, very selfishly, and very foolishly. They were turning children away from Jesus who loved them and was eager to receive them. In response, to his people, in, in response to his disciples' actions, the Lord Jesus sharply rebukes them. The Lord Jesus tells off his disciples for telling off the children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus' rebuke and command to his disciples is very clear. Don't get in the kids' way. Let them come. Don't stop them. And earlier on in this gospel story, Jesus had already said to his disciples, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were hurled into the midst of the ocean. And so let me suggest to you that the disciples were getting dangerously close to deserving a millstone around the neck. 
They were turning little children away from the Lord Jesus. And to be honest with you, I can, I can think of few things that would anger the Lord Jesus more. For the Lord Jesus' anger is an expression of his love. And it angers the Lord when those who he loves are turned away from him. As you know, it's also worth noting that Jesus had already spoken to the disciples on this matter as it regarded children. He took a little child into his lap and said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And so Jesus had already made it clear to the disciples that they were to love children and bring children to him, um, but they must have forgotten or deliberately disobeyed him. And so I think the command is pretty clear for us. We should do nothing that would hinder the children in our lives from coming to the Lord Jesus. We should put no obstacle in their way. We should never stand between our children and the Lord Jesus. This is a negative command in the sense that it is a command to not do something. But the positive version of this command can be also found in the Bible. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans chapter 15 verse 7 writes, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jesus Christ did not turn you away. Jesus Christ did not give you the cold shoulder. Jesus Christ did not consider you a waste of time. And so how dare you communicate to another person that they're a waste of time, or that they deserve the cold shoulder, or that they deserve to be turned away from? We, as followers of Jesus, are to be inspired by that love that Jesus has. We, like Jesus, are to have warm, happy, and open hearts that receive those who want to come to Jesus. We are to encourage our children to go to Jesus, not prevent them. Now, after Jesus' sharp rebuke, he gives a reason for his rebuke. He says, let them come, do not hinder them. Why? Because to such belongs the kingdom of God. And by these words, Jesus shows us that children and adults are on equal footing in the kingdom of God. Children, like adults, are members of the covenant, subjects of the kingdom, citizens of heaven, co-heirs with Christ and possessors of God's promises. The kingdom of God belongs as much to the little baby as it does to the person nearing a hundred. There's no age limits on belonging to the kingdom. And this reminds us that entry into the kingdom of God is always and every time a matter of God's pure grace. There are not multiple levels of belonging in the kingdom of God. You do not belong more or less because of your intellect or maturity or years served. If you belong, you belong by the pure grace of God alone. When you belong to the kingdom of God, you belong because Jesus has freely and graciously let you in. And therefore, because it's all an act of pure grace, the baby and the elderly saint are on the same footing in the kingdom of God. For 500 years, this episode of the gospel story, this scene of Jesus and the little children, has been retold at the baptism of infants. We've read this scripture not because it speaks directly to the issue of baptism, but because it makes the fundamental point that children are equal to adults in the kingdom of God and therefore not to be deprived of the benefits of that kingdom. I should also note that Jesus' simple words, to such belongs the kingdom of God, remind us that the discipleship, teaching, and training of children 
is just as important as the discipleship teaching and training of adults. The ministry of the church should focus just as much on children as it does on adults. You know, if you were to go back in time to the ancient world, if you were to travel back in time to ancient Rome or ancient Greece or ancient Persia, and if you were to tour the temples and shrines of those ancient civilizations, you would quickly come to the conclusion that these places were no place for a child. They were vile places, horrifying places, and frankly sad places. I remember listening to the popular historian Tom Holland talk about the ancient city of Pompeii, that city so well preserved by the eruption of the volcano Vesuvius. And Holland admitted that Pompeii did not really excite him as it excited others who were interested in the ancient world. One of the reasons that Holland gave was that the great discoveries of Pompeii had proved that ancient Pompeii would have been a terrible place to be a child. Holland admitted that Pompeii made him sad and it made him sick because of the sad things that he saw happening to children. One of the great peculiarities of Christianity amongst the religions of the world is that it gives a special and honored place to children. Indeed, when the Lord Jesus came into the world, he came into the world as what? As a baby. And thereby he affirmed the goodness and the value of children. I've often thought of and been moved by the story of George Mueller, that preacher and evangelist who opened large orphanages in the United Kingdom, most famously in the city of Bristol. When Mr. Mueller died, the streets of Bristol filled with people who wanted to pay their respects to the man. Tens of thousands of people reverently stood along the route of the simple procession. Men left their workshops and offices. Women left their elegant homes or humble kitchens, all seeking to pay a last token of respect to the great man. But I think the greatest celebration of all is that Mr. Mueller's casket was paraded through the streets surrounded by thousands of orphans. And then he was celebrated by thousands of orphans who had celebrated him as a second father in their lives. I know a few men who love children in such a way as Mr. Mueller, and I think there's something particularly Christian about having a funeral filled with orphans who you've loved. Like the disciples, we have often failed to live up to the high ideals that the Lord Jesus has given us. We have often failed to value children as we ought, but the ideal nevertheless stands. Children are as important as adults, and they are to be treasured and valued like everyone else. Our churches ought to be places where children are safe, welcomed, and loved. And now, let's look at the words with which Jesus finishes his comments to the disciples. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter into it. With these words, Jesus commends to all people those spiritual virtues, those special virtues that belong to children. Charles Simeon has a helpful list of these virtues in his commentary on the text. He lists the following virtues as commendable. Simplicity of mind, a teachableness of spirit, a consciousness of weakness, a dependence on their parents' care, an obedience to their commands, and a submission to their will. Matthew Henry adds to this list that we should be inquisitive or curious, like children. Think for a moment about how children learn. Think for a moment about how children learn something like a new language. I know there's a few teachers in the room. 
and you know what it's like for a child to learn. Think about how little Reuben or little Charlotte or little Josephine is currently learning English. They learn because they're teachable, curious, confident in their parents' love and eager to engage with their parents, siblings, and friends. Think about how often we adults envy our children for their ability to receive and learn new things. We often say to ourselves, I wish I learned a new language as a child. It would have been so much easier back then. I wish I learned to play the piano or the fiddle as a child. It would have been so much easier back then. Well, in the text that we have before us today, we find that Jesus encourages us to be like our children. In fact, he says that you must be like your children if you are to receive the kingdom of God. You must receive the kingdom with simplicity of mind, teachableness of spirit, consciousness of weakness, a dependence upon God, your heavenly Father, an obedience to his commands, submission to his will, inquisitiveness, and curiosity. You know, when I think of these words of Jesus, I think of my own mother and my own father, my mom and dad. I think of all they've taught me. I remember that they've taught me almost everything I know. I remember what a thrill it was for them to expose me to life's new wonders and thrills. I think of how they taught me to carefully and wisely navigate my life. I think of how useful that was. They taught me how to enjoy life, how to love and be loved. And you know, it makes me happy to think that receiving the kingdom of God is like a little girl or a little boy receiving good gifts from their parents. In the life of every Christian, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit conspire together in a great conspiracy of love to draw the person in and then bless them with the infinite and manifold blessings of the kingdom. Our prayer should be that the Holy Spirit humbles us to the point that we're able to receive this unspeakably great blessing with all the eagerness and wide-eyed joy of a child. When it comes to receiving the children, sorry, when it comes to receiving the kingdom, our children are our teachers, and we should be careful that we learn our lesson. And so, dear friends, as we've looked at the gospel story again, we found again that our Lord Jesus is very good and very great. He stands ready to save, receive, and embrace both adult and child alike. He would not have us block others from the kingdom, but instead receive it with childlike joy and wonder. This gives us great confidence as we come to baptize Reuben. But it should also give you great confidence as you yourself go before the Lord. Do not tiptoe into the presence of one who you suspect might be a tyrant, but fling yourself into the arms of one who is glad of your company and always happy to hear from you. Go often to him as you would go to your greatest of friends. And as old Spurgeon said, know that you will find him always at home and on the lookout for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you and we glory in who you are. We thank you that you stand so ready to save us, so ready to, to bring us in, so ready to embrace us. It's so lovely to know that the great God who created this universe is also the God eager to redeem, eager to love, eager to bless. We thank you for showing that to us, Jesus. We ask that these truths would come alive and burst forth in Reuben's heart, and we ask the same for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.